Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job? or told that person in high school how much you liked them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decisional moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. My guest today is Frankie Ward. Frankie is an esports presenter, gaming and podcast host, reaching over 2 million viewers in her career to date. She is best known for hosting the likes of Jinx TV's The Bridge, CSGO, as well as co-hosting the PC gaming show at E3. She has become a staple of the Counter-Strike scene, but has continued to have a presence in other eSport titles, such as League of Legends, Overwatch, Call of Duty and mobile gaming. Bringing humour and wit, as well as a real passion for the industry, Frankie's outlook is that now that eSports is a serious business, we can really start to have fun with it. Alongside this, she has just launched another podcast, Save Your Game, which invites some of the most influential names in esports and gaming to share their games that impacted their lives. With an unconventional career path, I'm really excited to find out more about the gaming industry and all the life-changing moments in Frankie's life. So welcome to Sliding Doors, Frankie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So it's really great to meet you. And I'm going to be honest from the offset that I don't know much about gaming. Um, I've definitely researched a lot for our chat. So um, I'm really excited to learn more today. And I wanted to start with asking you, so you probably didn't dream of this being your career as little Frankie. So what what did you want to be when you were little? Well, I I think... I'd always played games and I always wanted them to be part of my life, but I didn't realize that there was a job that I could do in gaming. So God, when I was little, I kind of wanted to be like an archeologist or an Egyptologist. My (laughs) mom wanted me to be an actor. I think I wanted to be an opera singer at one point because I'm classically trained as a singer. So there were a variety of different things. Yeah, but definitely not 
uh, esports presenter because I guess esports technically I think the first competitive event was in like the 70s really but, yeah but really it, it sort of grew momentum and, and things sort of during the 90s right so it was definitely not something that I was really aware of or mm-hmm. something that I wanted to be in when I was little yeah so are you a classically trained singer I am yeah wow. I I wanted to be an opera singer I went to you need to do drama going oh I'm gonna do music post-grad and then I couldn't afford the singing lessons not realizing that I probably qualified for a grant (laughs) to to get singing lessons on the side so I started playing and writing songs and not doing classical music but but doing other bits on the side instead which is still very fulfilling and I think that I'm very happy doing what I'm doing now. So yeah. it's not a problem that I'm not singing opera. Amazing. A great thing to know about you. So you mentioned it just then, but have you kind of gamed all your life? Have you always been interested in games ever since you were little? Yeah, absolutely. So I remember my dad had a work laptop and I used to play Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy on it, which is a typing. It's literally just a text-based game. Yeah. So I was really actively engaged with gaming we got the internet before internet browsers were a thing. So yeah. back in like 92 playing the dial-up hooligans internet. games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, with the the modem. And then once Netscape, the browser was launched in 93, I probably played browser games as well. So it was always a big thing in my house. And obviously we had a Sega Master System as well. I'm thinking yeah. about PC gaming now, but we had a games console as well. So we had a Master System. And then when we got older, my sister got an N64. I was in a play in London and I used the money to buy myself a PlayStation 1 when I was nine. Great. So, so yeah, I sort of got into console gaming in a way later than PC gaming. I love that though. And I love that it's always been something that's been part of your life and how brilliant that you've been able to make it a career. So for people like me that don't really know what esports is in this whole industry, can you give us a bit of an overview as to how, I mean, because it's become, as we said in the intro, you know, it's become a serious industry now. Can you a bit explain a little bit about it? Sure. So I would describe esports in a nutshell as organized competitive video gaming, because competitive video gaming is a game where one or more people compete against mm-hmm. one or more other people. So you can have multiple teams, not just like 1v1 or 5v5. If you take a battle royale title like Fortnite or Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, you've got up to 20 squads or even up to 100 individuals playing each other at the same time. So that is a competitive event. Now, okay. if you throw some organization behind it, yeah. like having a tournament organizer, then you're going to make an esports event, essentially. So I would say it's not esports unless you have that organization element. That doesn't have to be prize money, but there needs to be a tournament structure that yeah. people are obviously competing towards being number one as opposed to just playing a 5v5 game and not getting anything out of it except what we call ELO. So kind of ranking up points and finding yourself on a leaderboard. Incredible. And how many like eSport events are there in a normal year? Oh, um, hundreds, yeah. maybe even a thousand. Um, there are so many different titles, so many different tournament organizers. And so there are multiple things going on. Mm-hmm. It is affected per game because sometimes you have publishers, the people who see sometimes make the game or sometimes just distribute the game. They will have a say in who can do events around their game. Mm-hmm. But some publishers are much more hands-on. So you have Riot Games who make League of Legends and a newer title called Valorant and they run their tournaments. So with League of Legends, they literally run it in-house. They have their own studios around the world. And then you have... 
their newer title Valorant and that is actually seeded out to different production teams so uh, in the Europe the Valorant local league is run by a Berlin-based production company called Freaks for You for example so sometimes it's outsourced okay then you have one of my main clients I work for ESL and they tend to work with Valve a publisher who literally have kind of hands-off policy when it comes to their games. So Dota and Counter-Strike are two of those games. Mm-hmm. And they tend to let anyone do tournaments around their games. And if it's of a certain size, usually you would have to get a tournament license from the publisher. Okay. But they don't have directives about how you would use the game. So they don't have kind of rules per se, like a publisher like Riot would. And then what's your role within all of this? Do you kind of, as you say, once it becomes something that like is a big spectacle, are you like the presenter that kind of presents it? Is there a big audience? Do they get live streamed? Everything's live streamed. That is the the main, uh, I guess, broadcast platform for... The the, the way that esports broadcasting works, it's usually broadcast on the streaming platform. So typically would be Twitch, sometimes YouTube. Mm -hmm. And then there will also potentially be syndication deals around the world. So I've definitely done some broadcasts that have been syndicated to TV as well. But we're normally thinking about the streaming platform first. Yeah. Um, Because culturally that's where esports has come from. Even before we had Twitch and video streaming platforms, there was like real player people broadcasting just their voice via via online internet radio apps. so um, that's the kind of main way that people consume it. However, in non-COVID times, the biggest tournaments yeah. will be at big arenas. Mm-hmm. So you could have in China, like the Beijing Bird's Nest Stadium was used once for the finals of the League of Legends World Championships. And that was a few years ago. And that has a capacity, I think, of about 80,000. So, wow, it's <laughs> amazing. Or at least there was, a, there was 80, up to 80,000 tickets sold. So it's, it's pretty big. I think yeah. the most I've probably done in terms of a physical audience uh being in the same space you know being in the arena with me is probably about twelve thousand. but yeah it's kind of sky's the limit right so it really varies and you can have over a million people watching worldwide or you might have a million people on the viewers uh the english stream i should say and then you could have more people watching in different language streams worldwide so you'll have different coverage teams what an amazing world. It's so interesting. And what would you say, and not to kind of go into any of your sliding doors moments, but what's the highlight for you of your career so far with all of these brilliant things that you've done? Well, it's really hard. So I sometimes I desk host. So I do the Gary Lineker match of the day role or the Gabby Logan role. Um, yeah. Sometimes I do the Claire Balding interviewing role, you know, at Wimbledon, but I'm doing it with esports players. Sometimes they stage host. So I'll and that's quite unique to esports where you're talking to the audience as well as down the lens that yeah. the people watching at home as well. So you've got kind of a hybrid role. So I think I, I, I know I'm most well known for my interviews. So it's hard to like say a particular event I'm most proud of because there's been a lot of different games that I've done. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of like different different things that I'm happy that I've been part of. I do often say the... 2019 CSGO major in Katowice because it was the biggest Counter-Strike event I'd done and it was like the fourth Counter-Strike event I'd done and that was a a game any sport that I never thought I'd get to be involved with let alone do one of the biggest events of the year in so that was a a big one for me and also being involved in the LEC which is European League of Legends League Mm -hmm. because seeing League of Legends in action was the first esport that I kind of encountered and so to be asked to actually be part of their broadcast or like as a guest was such an important 
moment for me because it was like oh my god these guys know who I am now yeah. and they're the reason that I'm here in the first place there. in the esports space yeah Oh, it's so brilliant. And from an outsider's perspective, it does seem like quite a male industry. Like, is that a, like a fair perception? Do you feel like you are kind of, you know, a female leading the way that to kind of say that like gaming is for everyone? I would say that player base wise in gaming in general, it's very 50-50. But I think what happens is because of this element of competition there are more men competing than women and mm -hmm. especially obviously when you get to the actual professional level and I think that's for a variety of different reasons and I think one of the big things in terms of competition with women is we're told that we have to prioritize other things yeah whereas like guys just go out and do it and they go right oh screw all the rest of it I'm gonna spend eight to ten hours a day practicing in this game because <laughs> no one's told me that I can't be a pro at it yeah but they've told me I need to do this if I really want to be a pro Whereas with women from the outset, well, young girls, they're instantly told that they can't do it in the first place before mm -hmm. they've even started dedicating themselves to it. So instead they go, okay, well, I need to study and go to university. And I think yeah. that's one of the biggest barriers is actually a cultural one that starts from when girls are like, you know, going into teenagers, like pre-pubescent. Yeah. Girls are told in multiple different fields, not just in these sports in in traditional sports as well. Like football we're not shown, Yeah, we're not shown women playing sports outside really of athletics or hey if you want to invest in a Eurosport uh, subscription yeah you can probably see some netball but we're yeah. not really given that platform and it's the whole being the thing you can't see and because there aren't many women out there in esports then there's this perception that kind of builds up which is oh well women can't do it because they're not good enough and actually it's so much more than that and it isn't that women aren't good enough and that's that is a problem and it's a cycle that we need to get out of and I just don't know when. And it's so great that you're at the forefront now just to kind of show people that, you know, as you say, to really stop that barrier and hopefully make it better in the future. So before we talk about your moments, um, I'm really excited to chat about your career and your sliding doors moments, but I wanted to ask, what are your beliefs around the sliding doors concept, around fate, around everything happens for a reason? Is this something that you've really, you know, you really live by in your life with the things that have happened to you? I think it's a, a really interesting concept. The problem is I don't know what would have happened to me if yeah, exactly. I had made different decisions. So yeah, it's so hard to say, but at the same time things that have happened to me have led to better things even if they sucked at the time yeah like I've been made redundant twice and both of those things led to even better things yeah so it's it's amazing how you can turn things around and I think it's like if you are if you can find that resilience in yourself and it's really tough too so sometimes you need a support system around you to pick you up until you can rebuild mm -hmm. and I think if you've if you've done everything you needed to do in the first place then you can pick yourself up because you laid the foundations for for other things so like the first time I got made redundant was I got unceremoniously kind of ditched and put on the doorstep but I'd done some internships and had some contacts and things and so I went and signed on at Biker <laughs> Job Centre because yeah. I was living up north and then sent emails and yeah. Two weeks after I lost my job at this radio station, I walked into Channel 4 as a producer. And mm -hmm. I know there was timing there. It's not yes. like, I know there was the element of luck with the timing and all that kind of thing. But because I kept those contacts and I made a good impression on them in the first place and I'd worked really hard, 
it meant that they knew that I was good to to work for them again. So yeah. yeah, it was it was awesome. It was the best thing that could have happened. So I definitely believe in some elements of, of sliding doors for sure. Yeah. And as you say, a lot of the time it's timing, but it's also allowing yourself to keep those doors open to make sure that the timing things can happen. Um, so we'll go into your first moment. So you've kind of just mentioned a little bit, but you had been a producer for 10 years and it was only when you produced the coverage of the 2015 League of Legends quarterfinal at Wembley for the BBC that you realised you could make gaming into a career. So as you say, you were a producer. Explain kind of what you were doing at the finals and what your job was there. Sure. So I did several different jobs at the BBC over a four-year period. And my last one was I was a senior content producer. I think that was my full title for a product called BBC Live. So product's not a very sexy word, but basically yeah. <laughs> uh, for the Olympics in 2012, BBC Sport built this platform where you could watch multiple different live streams of different sports at the same time. And then it has a text-based commentary. So for example, if there is a sport or a match that BBC don't have the rights to, they can still cover it uh, in a text-based format and maybe pull in a five live stream kind of thing. So you can pull in a broadcast element to a mm-hmm. stream and then also have the text-based coverage, which is a live blog where you can yep. pull in social media and things like that. So you can run that live blog even without anything. So my job on that was to basically build a website, um, build that ed- and edit that side of things. I wasn't leading on the actual broadcast production. I was involved in it, but my main thing was making sure all the elements came together for the best possible experience for the audience. That also involved me sort of researching uh, where else people were watching, which was Twitch. Mm-hmm. So that's how I discovered what Twitch was. Yeah, And then also looking at Reddit and just looking what people at what people were saying, because we didn't have a Twitch chat. So in, on Twitch, you have people able to talk with each other and with the person on screen in real time if the person on screen is actually looking at Twitch chat. And so we didn't have that on our platform. We didn't have somewhere we, where people could submit things to us. We didn't have a, an official Twitter account or anything like that because it was a pilot project. So Reddit was my one way I could actually get in touch with people and see what their impressions were and all that kind of thing and yeah. adapt my approach as the weekend went on, like having a glossary of terms because you can't watch a video that explains to you what's going on if you're trying to watch the actual game. So yeah. it's just really simple things like having a glossary of terms of people and what ganking is who's the baron like all these yeah. kind of things mm-hmm. um, and I just really liked the guys I was working with from the esports side of things and I really liked the audience and meeting yeah. people and on the tube someone coming up to me because I had a League of Legends lanyard on being like do you work for Riot and <laughs> I was saying I work for BBC and him being like oh well oh I'll, I'll leave you to it and I was like no no it's cool like let's talk let's have let's a chat, chat about yeah. the game and everything and I just yeah I just really love that side of things and also it's a really emotional experience being in mm-hmm. that arena and I think it's very similar to a sporting experience you could go to a esports event not knowing anyone and you could definitely start talking to the people you're sat next to if you wanted to because yeah. you're you're there for the same reason you it's might like support different teams yeah yeah and it's just a really beautiful thing to be part of so I wanted to get more involved in esports to tell the stories of the people that I was finding out more things about whether whether they're players or people in the audience but the players themselves that's the greatest privilege of my job now is seeing like sometimes these like 16 year old kids go from barely speaking English and being shy on camera to winning trophies and suddenly like just becoming so confident and and they grow up before your eyes which is shows that I'm a lot older than most of the people I work with but I, I do get very sentimental about it and no, it's yeah it's, it's a lovely industry to be in 
And do you remember kind of the moment, because you say this is when you realise you can make gaming a career. Do you remember the moment when you were kind of sat there being like, actually, I want to do this full time? I think it was probably when I was on the tube with an amazing presenter and my friend, now my friend, it was the first time I met her really, uh, Julia Hardy, who is one of the, if not the leading on-screen kind of presence for gaming in the UK. And we were just having a chat about so many different things. And I was just like, oh my God, I'd love to work with Julia again. I'd love to be part of this. I think I did think about doing some on-camera stuff back then, but but it wasn't really my focus. It was more, I just wanted to be producing at least and making content in that space and just doing more of it. I, I was so fed up too strong a phrase, but I was a bit bored of my job. It's it's quite hard to move further up in the BBC and, and get noticed. Yeah. And there is, there is nepotism involved and there's a funnel that you reach. And I was just really struggling to kind of work out what I wanted to do. And I was on secondment. I didn't want to go back to my previous job. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I just wanted to specialize in something because I do diff- all channels like radio or TV, all different genres. I could be doing opera one, one week, obviously video games, the next something yeah. for radio one's teen awards. And I just wanted to actually focus on something and know it inside out. And yeah. this was a good opportunity for me to do that. And then, and how did you make that happen then? So how did you take kind of that spark of an idea and make it a reality? I was doing some work with BBC Three and I was like constantly saying to like Damien, who was the commissioner at the time, really want to do something on gaming. And oh, I, I deliberately didn't play League. I just learned about it and watched videos and read up about it. I didn't play League of Legends straight away because I was like, oh, this is a project. I could be learning League. Yeah. No one wanted me to be on camera. <laughs> <laughs> no one imagined that I was good at my, my job on the internet, but no one saw me as someone who would... The face. Be a, yeah, be a face for them. I wasn't talent for them. And... It was just a, a bit frustrating. And um, I looked at Twitch because, hey, that's the platform where people actually watch esports and, and gaming things. And there was a job that basically sounded like a producer job. And I think that was maybe January or February because mm-hmm. the League of Legends event happened in October. And uh, and yeah, I just applied for it. <laughs> it took months to hear back. And then I had five interviews. And then I finally joined Twitch in July 2016. Amazing. So, yeah, yeah, it took like nine months or something after I discovered what Twitch was. But then once I got there, I, I became a Twitch streamer and just started to really get to know, especially the UK community. And I just threw myself in head first because that's what I do. Like if, if, if I need to know about something, I need to be doing the thing. So mm-hmm. you just get invested as you can, or at least in my case you do. And, and it really paid off. Yeah. I mean, it's such, it's such a brilliant, I mean, I've had a similar thing where like, you know, a company that you want to work for and you've just got to persevere and it's almost like that vision of where you want to go. And do you ever think that if you hadn't have, you know, worked on this event, like, would you still be a producer now? Do you think you would have like, you know, really fallen in love with that side of stuff? That's such a good question. I don't know. I, I think that I would have found it eventually. Yeah. Against that fate thing. I think I would have found it somehow because it is becoming more mainstream and it is being reported on in the news and things like that. And so I I think that I would have been brought into it some way. I don't know if I would be hosting. I don't know if I would be producing or how it'd be working, but, but I think at some point I would have ended up within the gaming space. Yeah. I didn't know at the time, obviously, but, but looking back now, I think that at some point I would have found it or found my way there. 
But as you say, what is so brilliant about when we can reflect on these moments is, you know, it's the way you got there now. And it's actually when you like look back, it's all the stepping stones that got you to that moment at that time. And I love, you know, the fact that, as you said, you've been playing games for so long and it's brilliant to see that you found a connection at that event and then like went forward and got it. So, um, Moving on to your second moment. So this is more kind of a young personal moment. So I'm going to try and explain it, but you'll explain it a lot better than me. So you chose to attend a different secondary school to everyone except one other student at primary school. Um, you got bullied. Your mum wanted you to go to another school, but it was oversubscribed. But then a school wrote to you and asked you to join them instead. And you did. And you say that this is the first best decision that you ever made so do you want to explain that way better than me and explain what happened with with your secondary school I, I think you explained it really okay, well so thanks. basically we we moved to Kent when I was just going into junior school going into year three and I think at first I was fairly happy but yeah I just got I got bullied for a few years at my primary school and mm. they obviously preferred boys to girls I was very acutely aware of that and yeah. so if there was a boy who was particularly clever and a girl who was just as clever, then the, the boy would be like, right, throw your resources light. at him. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I was, I was always very perceptive of that. And, and yeah, when I was, I was bullied and there was evidence and things that the school like acted like it was my, my fault and my, yeah. my issue. So there was a local grammar stream at the local comprehensive and then, you were expected to take a 13 plus to go to a, a grammar school. Yep. And my mom wanted me to do the 11 plus just in case I didn't get in. Mm-hmm. But she Same didn't want to me, me to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But she didn't want me to go to this, the nearest grammar school, which was still a distance away. She wanted me to go to this other one called Invicta, um, which was sort of well-resourced in terms of music and things like that. And I was musical and, and things. And I remember going to the open day and finding it, finding it a bit cold. And not feeling <laughs> like it was applied you. for it anyway. Yeah, mm. just uh, we applied for it anyway because that's what my mum wanted. And then we got results and I got into the grammar stream at the comprehensive. I passed my 11 plus, but then I had a letter from Invicta saying, you're too far away and we're oversubscribed. But if you want to appeal to get in, then that's cool. Like yeah. you can. Yeah. So it made sense. I wasn't my nearest grammar school. But then I had another letter from a school called MDGS, like Maystone Grammar School for Girls. And it said that they would be really happy to offer me a place. And Mike, uh, I hadn't gone to visit the school, but they said, we'll give you a tour. Our head teacher, Mr. Judson, she'll take you around. And so, yeah, I went on this tour while the school was in session. So I got to sort of go around the classrooms and things like that. Mm-hmm. This old building that was probably built in like 1900 and then it had loads of prefab kind of mobiles around and I just remember walking around and just being like oh my god this is amazing yeah because it just felt like it just felt warm in a way that Invicta didn't and I just remember seeing year eight doing this like in the in the school hall doing a dance routine degrees and just thinking they're like, the coolest me. in the world you know because they're like 13 year olds and I'm yeah. like you know I'm 10 or 11 so I'm like oh my god they're so cool um and yeah, so I went to that school and I know, I think single sex education benefits girls more than it does boys. Mm-hmm. And I also am very conflicted about grammar schools. I don't believe in private education. So therefore it's hypocritical for me to believe in uh, selective education. Mm-hmm. So therefore I'm, I'm very fortunate. I benefited so much from going to that school. However, I think the reason I benefited from it was because it removed the boys from the equation. And if there's a 
definitely this idea and I think it's the wrong idea that if it's a school of girls it's going to be all bitchy and dramatic and things yeah. and it really wasn't yeah like, it's the, the same girls with me my, yeah you went to a girls school an as well girls school yes yeah I I felt like you'd have your there'd be squabbles and things like that and you'd have your cliques but they weren't cliques in an exclusive way they were more groups of girls who were drawn together that you bonded but with in, yeah yeah and in my form like and in the other forms around the school as well people had each other's back uh, mm-hmm. So there were a couple of fallouts like here and there, but up to six form when it became more of a popularity contest around head students and yeah. who was organizing the charity events and who was doing this and that until like GCSE, it was genuinely great. And I looked forward to going to school and that's why I, I attribute it to being one of the best decisions I ever made because I was treated with respect even from being 11 years old, mm-hmm. I was confident and was able to find what I was good at. And yeah. yeah, I and the teachers were hilarious and just treated us, as I said before, with respect and, and you know, um, never kind of patronised us or anything like that. And and so, honestly, that, that school, sometimes I go back and judge the media awards and things like that. Just Amazing. Yeah, I, I, I was really, really lucky. And I know not everyone has that experience, but... Yeah. But yeah, it, it helped me so much, which is why it was hard. I think when I went to work and people didn't necessarily <laughs> like, like they don't like that confidence. And I think with yeah. women, it's you suddenly get people who want to strip that away from you. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard. Um, but that doesn't mean I regret having that confidence built up in the first place because totally. I deserved and I deserve to be confident. Unfortunately, there's just some people who disagree. <laughs> yes, no, I totally get it. And I actually had a very similar flip flip of you where my parents wanted me to go to a school and I wanted to go to another school I got my own way and then um I think in like year eight um there wasn't anything wrong but I just felt like I'd fit in more in the school they originally wanted me to go to and I'd made really good friends there and I remember sitting my parents I mean I don't really remember making the decision but I said to them I want to move schools and I did and just like you said I can't imagine, and it was, I went from a mixed school to an all girls school and I can't imagine not of going there and the friendships that I made, but the person I became and the memories that I have. And what I kind of wanted to ask you was, and you've touched on it briefly, but what real impact has that school made on you? Like, you know, if you think about if you hadn't have gone there, how different of a person do you think you would have been? I think I would be a different person because I think that, the bullying it kind of subsided when I got to year six a bit but I don't think it would have got any better when I went to secondary school and I think it would have taken a downward turn I think yeah it would have been just a a very bad experience I also think it's just a really nice um story and example for people that as well like you can go through your first choice your second choice and then someone can just come out of the woodworks and actually that can be the thing that is where you're meant to be and what was meant to happen for you so um I'm glad you made that first uh, good decision in your life um so on to your final moment so um you say your role as a sideline reporter at the Intel Extreme Masters Katowice 2019 um CSGO was a life-changing moment for you so um you went to 20 different tournaments around this time, um, mainly as a broadcast, like broadcast talent. Um, so what happened? Why was it such a life-changing moment for you? So basically I, I alluded to this earlier. So in terms of esports, Counter-Strike is one of the oldest. There have been tournaments in Counter-Strike 
I believe since probably about 2000, Counter-Strike started as a mod in a game called Half-Life. So it's a game called Half-Life Deathmatch, a mod someone in the community created, and it went on to become its own standalone game. Yeah. So the the competitive scene really began in a version called CS 1.6, and it went to a game called Source. Some people Mm -hmm. didn't like Source very much, so they kept playing 1.6. And then in 2012, CSGO, aka Counter-Strike Global Offensive, came out. Mm-hmm. And so it really did set a benchmark for other esports. So League of Legends, for example, which is arguably the biggest esports title in the world, yeah. that came out in 2010. So okay. Counter Strike really did lay the foundations. But you know, it's got a 20 year history. It is mm-hmm. one of the most established games out there, and it's because it, on its surface, it's simple. It is yeah. you've got five v five, your terrace and counter terrace, or your T's and CTs. When you play a game of Counter-Strike, you're not thinking about that. You're thinking about the strategy with your teammates. You're thinking about whether you're planting the bomb or you're defusing the bomb or trying to stop that bomb going down. There are so many different elements to it. You're not thinking about the lore of of terrorists and counter-terrorists. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something that puts people off because they see guns and they see violence and things like that. But it's really not about that at all. It is about it's about winning at the end of the day in the best yeah. way possible. And um it was just this esport that I was very aware of from when I joined the space. And I'd played Counter-Strike when I was like 16, um, <laughs> on an ex-boyfriend's computer type of thing. And I just never imagined that I would get to be part of that scene because for me, the talents of the broadcast talent in Counter-Strike were just so above anything. Um, for me, along with the League of Legends talent. And then I got asked to be <laughs> involved in a major. And a major is something that happens twice a year. So Valve, the publisher, are actually involved. And it's the ultimate title for any team, any player to win. Mm-hmm. To be a major winner is to be an icon to go down in history. There is one team, Astralis, who have won four majors. So okay, the Katowice wow. major was their third. <laughs> you know, 24 teams across three weeks, or it used to be three weeks. It's now going oh into a two-week cycle. Yeah, it's a very intense process. So if you've got five players a team plus coaches and there's 24 of them, that's a learn a lot. Yeah, yeah. And there was a lot of pressure on my shoulders because most people in the audience didn't know who I was. And I definitely felt that and succumbed to it in some ways. Like at first when I was doing interviews, I was trying to prove that I'd done my research, knew what I was talking about. And I had some feedback. And this is one of the other reasons why it's an important event. It's not just because of the level of the event. It's because I got better because there are people who wanted me to get better. So I had a couple of people who were high up in ESL production. So the product manager, uh, Sean Clark, who used to be a StarCraft 2 caster, so has been there, done that. And also um, Carmack, who is basically the vice president of like their their esports kind of tournament division at ESL. I always get his title wrong. (laughs) But they both gave me advice and... Carmack was just like, I want your questions to be tighter and I want it to be more dynamic. I want it to be, I don't want you to be talking for ages. I want you to get it back to the player as soon as you can. And as soon as he said that, and I watched some footage back from that day's broadcast, I went, oh my God, he's absolutely right. right." Yeah. And and instantly I became hundreds of percentages better at my job. And I took that forward. And because that was my first Counter-Strike event of the year and I started in February, and then I went on to do 19 more. So one of those I did express and the other 19, uh, other 18 is broadcast talent. I did other games as well. <laughs> and I did stage hosting, desk hosting, interviewing. 
uh, so I did, a, I, I did so much in 2019. It was exhausting. So maybe COVID came at the right time for me personally, because yeah. I needed to slow down. Um, but yeah, it absolutely changed my life because, uh, it introduced people in esports to me and it was kind of tough love at parts and meant I had to throw myself in, but it also was important for me to realize how much I loved doing what I was doing yeah. and, and how it was the right thing to me, for me to be doing. Definitely. And do you think it was the catalyst for, you know, everything that came after it, as you say, like it's, I think it's brilliant what you say about taking on feedback and it being something that, you know, you went into and actually you wanted to learn, you wanted to get better. But do you think, you know, if you hadn't have done that, you would have, I don't know, been different in kind of what's happened after it? I think that I wouldn't be doing Counter-Strike as much as I am, or maybe Mm -hmm. I would have at some point, but it definitely gave me the confidence to kind of pursue Counter-Strike more because I, I'd done a few events previously and I wanted to do it, but I wasn't actively going out there and going, hello, please invite me to this event. Whereas when I started hosting, I was going to a tournament organizer called DreamHack and be like, hey, I'd love to host some stuff for you, maybe PUBG. And then a month or two later, I'm in Austin, yeah. Texas, hosting a PUBG event. And then I go on to do more PUBG events because I've got my foot in the door there. Yeah. Um, and I'm very lucky that although I kind of technically had already with Counter-Strike because I'd done a few events, um, it was really um, the, the team at ESL who I'd worked with on a couple of different things saying, we think you're going to be a really good fit for this and there's a space for you. So do you want it? And mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and it led to so much. And I still work on a lot of Counter-Strike events for ESL. Um, so yeah, it's, I think... Um, it was, yeah, it was important for uh, for multiple different things. And I, I do think that I probably would have started doing Counter-Strike, but I maybe I would have ended up more full-time in a different game yeah. instead of that one. I just want to also touch before we let you go on um, the opportunity that you had to co-host the PC gaming show at E3 because um, that reached such a large audience. And how mm. was that like, you know, a sliding doors moment for you? It was a sliding doors moment in in sense that I think it was, maybe it's a sliding doors moment for me that Tim Clark, who is a uh, one of the directors at, at PC Gaming Mag, he's a Brit abroad in New York and he loves the game Hearthstone, car uh-huh. game. And I was hosting this UK Hearthstone event in 2018, my first stage hosting event, and I was still working at Twitch on the side. And my approach to it was quite different, I think, from the usual approach to that job. So I was kind of making a lot of jokes and just kind of trying to with the contestants just kind of have a bit of a laugh we didn't have like a big audience or anything like that in in situ with us so it was more like how much fun could we have with the players on stage we've got loads of props and all that kind of stuff and so um I think Tim really liked that approach and that kind of sense of fun and so when I was I think I was chatting to someone I worked with at Twitch uh, several months later so it's mm-hmm. May and they said are you hosting the PC gaming show this year because you should tell us you know because we're working with them because yeah. we're broadcasting their conference uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like no <laughs> I've worked the PC gaming weekender for Omen for like a sponsored thing around the game Overwatch back in February so maybe that's the reference because no of course I'm not that's that's an E3 press conference yeah yeah that is gaming Christmas. No, I'm not involved in that. No. Um, and then, and then I got made redundant. And then, like within the week, my agent was like, "So, PC gaming show, they're considering you for it." And I was like, "What? Wow. <laughs> like, what?" And um, and then, yeah. So, like, uh, 
month and a bit later, I am in LA and I'm co-hosting this show from the from the balcony of this fancy downtown LA theatre because theatres in LA are not the same as West End theatres. No, London. they're very different. Yeah, they're all crazy inside. So yeah, I found myself in LA and I was in Austin the week before for this, uh, for a tournament I was hosting. So I spent the week in the youth hostel in Austin and in the mornings I would go to this little bagel shop and I'd look at the script and the trailers that they were sending me and do a little bit of script editing. And if I noticed there wasn't something written for a trailer, I would ask them if they wanted me to write it. And so I'd, I'd write some of that script and really threw myself into it because they hadn't worked with me before. So yeah, and it was like your was, opportunity. Yeah. So I basically carved myself out a little niche on the balcony. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, did, well, there was a, a section with a duck, someone dressed as a duck. Uh, it was a Screen Actors Guild actor in a duck costume. Oh my god! We gosh. sort of rehearsed this bit. It was a sponsored read. It was like my yeah. longest read in the show. A few gags I made, I think, landed well. And then I was waiting to come on stage. And I turned my phone on airplane mode. I didn't want to be looking at my phone during the show and anything like that, just be in the moment, et cetera. Um, but I came down from the balcony to go into the stage to say goodbye with Sean, the, the lead host, yeah. aka Day Nine, incredible personality, lovely person. And I put, turned my phone off airplane. <laughs> I, looked, I don't know why I looked at my Instagram. I think I must have had notifications because I still had notifications switched on then. And I'd gone from a thousand followers to like, 12, 13,000. Oh, yeah, my I've gone God. to 13,000 followers. No way. In an hour and a half. Wow. And I, I was just like, what the hell is this? What? I had no idea what was going on. That's like, throw your phone down, go go on stage and wave. And there's yeah. like a gif of me, like, uh, on like uh, on Twitter, where like I'm Sean's naming all the, like, doing all the thank yous, and I'm just doing this, like, the whole as time. he's doing the thank yous and then like, like, winding up the show. And then I went outside. Wow. We had a glass of warm Prosecco outside the uh, OB, nice. the outside broadcasting truck. And they said, do you want to do it next year? <laughs> and I You're was like, like, yep. Yeah, <laughs> great. So it's the first time I've been hired on the spot for another event. And it just happens to be one of the biggest ones I do all year. So Incredible. I just did my fourth one, um, which I filmed my bit remotely and in advance. But the most exciting thing about this year was, well, apart from pretending to be in a giant mech, because there was a storyline for this year's show, <laughs> is uh, one of the the publishers sega who's you know they used to make hardware the master system the mega drive uh the long forgotten sega saturn <laughs> and Dreamcast, um and then you know making sonic the hedgehog and all that they are publishing a game called humankind mm-hmm. um and they this year decided to put me in the game <laughs> wow so this year's pc gaming show they revealed me like recording some of my voice lines and my avatar in the game and things and so it's really amazing how it's gone from so amazing just being picked up for doing a british tournament yeah. to being in a video game but how brilliant because it's such i mean i love that it's a very good sliding doors moment as well actually because as you say it's it's also just like that time you were there and it's the exposure because as you said before it's the type of industry where you need to be out there people want to see you people want to know you and actually by getting that exposure that's what kind of led on and amazing that now you do that every year and as you say if you had told your younger self that that's what you would be doing you'd be like no way yeah exactly it's crazy it still matters to me that I get to do it especially with such nice people like I really I, especially being a producer, when when a production team is on it, I really, really appreciate it. And mm-hmm. I just appreciate getting to work with lovely teams because otherwise most, I'm freelance. I'm on my own most of the time. So when yeah. I do get to work with a team more than once, you know, that's the closest thing I have to 
an office family yeah. and so getting to go back to that team each year is just such a treat to be honest yeah. it's just the best feeling Oh, it's brilliant. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and good luck with your new podcast. Um, really excited to hear it. And thank you for teaching me more about the gaming industry because I feel like now I know a little bit more. So thank you so much and um, have a great day. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Frankie. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share and subscribe. Thank you so much. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.